Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And what a killer show with Shay Keeler. She is the Senior Director of Global Commercial Sales at Outreach. Nick, why should people listen? Shay is an expert at moving your deals forward. This episode actually inspired me to go look at my pipeline and even look at ops where I had a next step on the books, but accelerate them even before that meeting happened. And so if you want to move your pipeline forward today without waiting until your next meeting, you got to listen to Shay. She's got some really good stuff to do just that. And a three, a two, a one. Let's ride. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. All right, Shay, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. All right. So number one, I would say give everyone a a role to play on any external call. So oftentimes we've got a big demo scheduled and we have five executives coming onto this call, but they don't know what role they need to play on that or like when they need to provide value. And there's nothing worse than wasting an hour of everyone's time and not getting what you want out of it. So my best advice is to provide each individual persona a role that you want to play. So for example, let's say you've got your SC that's coming to the call and you want your SC to only talk about and provide value in ways that you're competitively different than your competition because you know that they're more likely to trust you. Then give that role and give that example to your SC prior. You've got your sales manager on the call and you want them to provide all the examples about how sales leaders can use outreach to provide value when coaching their sellers. 
provide that to them and then create space for them to actually talk. You get lots of times reps get so excited during a demo that they don't actually pause or ask any open-ended questions and allow people to provide different value. So that would be my tip number one. Beautiful. What's tip number two? Tip number two would be create a hit list for all open ops every week. So oftentimes this is something that SDRs do really well. And then when you become an AE, you kind of forgot about that hit list. So every Monday I would create two lists. One would be a list of all of your open ops that don't have next steps. And then you'd create a list of all of your open ops that you just need some kind of touch point on them. And you'd treat those two pretty different, right? So if you don't have a next step on those open ops and you know that's so important, then you should be touching your champion or your coach at least once a day, providing different value and trying to drive that next step that you're looking to do. You don't need to wait. Like if you've got something positive to say and you've got something that you can provide value to, then make sure that you're being proactive. And then I think on anyone that you do have a next step, it's still important for you to stay top of mind. Maybe you got delayed a week or two weeks to get that next step, but you want to make sure that they don't go with your competition, which they very well could be doing, right? So providing them a webinar or a link, I always like to say like, hey, Nick, I thought of you and wanted to send this over. Like, here's an example. So treat that like your hit list every week. And then by the end of the week, the goal will be that you get either next steps on all of them and you've moved the needle on any of those open ops that have a next step. I love it. Round us out. What's tip number three? All right. Tip number three would be listen to your own calls every week. So I would say regardless of if you're an SDR or an AE, uh, typically we all hate the sound of our own voice, but it's really important to spend time reflecting on your own calls and not just listening to top AEs or SDRs. So when I started as an AE at Outreach, what I would do every week is I would listen to my calls and I would send Mark Cosaglow the three things I did really well on that call and then the three areas that I would do differently. I would keep a journal and I would keep sending them to him and I would also be able to reflect on it myself. This really helped Mark not only coach and develop me, but also show that I was like in this and I wanted to be successful and it helps me proactively, you know, create pathway for promotion, etc. So Shay, I want to go back to this point around next steps. Yeah. You described a specific scenario that I think is really, really common, especially today, which is, let's say I go through a demo, I'm selling this deal, and my prospect says, Armand, I really appreciate this. We like what we see, and but I need a second to debrief with my team internally because we are looking at a couple of other solutions. And let's just pretend that maybe there's a touch point on the books later, or I might not even have a touch point on the books. How do I stay relevant and top of mind with someone who's clearly looking at competitors without being annoying? Yeah. So I think number one would be to ask for a sync with them. So regardless if they need to sync internally, it's like, hey, Armand, let's get 15 minutes on the books on Friday. I just want to like touch base, see if there's anything I've missed that maybe my competitor is, you know, get them on your side and make it a win for them. Not that you're just trying to beat out the competition. And then I think how else I would say relevant is people are busy. They don't want to get on a call if there's no agenda and there's nothing that they're going to get out of it. So how can you provide like touch points or different things that can help that person? So, you know, maybe if I'm talking to a VP of sales and I know that they're struggling with AE prospecting, I'll intro them to my VP of sales that created AE prospecting and outreach. And all of a sudden that's a win-win. I'm not taking anything. I'm just giving you a new resource, right? And so thinking outside of the box and thinking of ways that like, it doesn't feel like you're always getting something from them, but you're providing value in different creative ways, but you're not letting them forget about you. So Shay, I love this concept of the goodwill introduction. In other words, 
oftentimes when you just follow up on next steps with, hey, do you have an answer yet? Hey, do you have an answer yet? Hey, you want to touch base? Hey, you want to check in? It's all serving you to your point. Mm -hmm. But the reality is once you start making offers to provide an introduction to someone who can help solve a problem, you're all of a sudden going to distort that prospect's reality when they're looking at other competitors as well. I'm curious in this specific example, I want to come back to next steps in a second, but if someone says, I'm going to go look at a couple competitors, before you say bye, what do you tell them to make sure that they're looking for the right things? It starts at the beginning because if you do it right before, it's like, you know, a bad date or something. You're like, wait, hold on. I promise I could like do better at that. You know, I think ultimately you need to understand what's most important to that person prior. And you learn that either in the discovery or beginning of a demo or throughout the demo. And then I think it's bringing it back to that. Not that you're talking badly about your competition or that they wouldn't be happy if they went somewhere else. So if there's certain things that I know that my competition can't do, hey, Armand, like I know that this is really important for you that you have to have your AE start prospecting or you could lose your job based on what you told me. So here's the three things I want you to look for when you go to that demo. And we'll talk about that when we come back. But just look, keep an eye out for that because I'm scared that they might not have that, et cetera, and get them planting and thinking about that stuff for that call. So I actually want to ask you sort of a discovery slash how you position pitch outreach question because... Yes. I've used outreach and there are so many different things that it can help with. And there are so many functions that it has that support multiple different goals. And yeah. I presume that you could run the risk of almost making a prospect be like, oh, this seems like more than we need if you overwhelm them with all the stuff that you do. And so how do you strike the right balance between showing them the great things that you can do that maybe your competition can't, while also not mm -hmm. being like, here's a list of 432 things that outreach is able to do <laughs> that like, our biggest competitors can't do? Yeah. So I'm a firm believer of like on a really good demo, you should have three pains that you're trying to solve for a prospect and you should demo to those three things. Like. Mm -hmm. I bought a car. What my husband cares about versus what I care about is very different. I cared like color and that it was fast and that it was like this certain brand that I wanted, right? But he didn't care about that stuff. He cared about other things. And so I think keeping it really, really simple and just tying it back to like, hey, I've shown you this. You told me you want to increase AE prospecting, Nick. I'm just showed you how you can do that. Do you agree that this could help solve your problem? Mm -hmm. Yes. Great. Check. Move on, right? And I could take you on a tour of outreach for two hours and probably not even show you like what you actually need. So I think it all goes back to what does this person need and what does this prospect need? And do they have an emotional attachment to if you solve that or not? And then just show specifically those three things. So there was this company that I was advising the other day and we were tearing down one of their tapes. And it reminded me of exactly what you just said, which is the prospect came and wanted to solve an initial problem. And that problem was in the middle of the workflow of the demo. Mm -hmm. And what they did is they started with the same way they start every demo, which is this is how you do the integrations. This is permissions. Great. This is how you set it up. And it took them 20 minutes to get to the meat of what this person wanted to solve. And I'm like, guys, like I know you want to show how it all works together, but go be the heat-seeking missile and go right to the first problem that they wanted to solve. And then at the end, be like, hey, does this solve that problem? And if they say yes, then you can say typically when you're focused on things like this, 
The other types of things our customers are focused on are X, Y, and Z. And now that you've solved their first problem, you can start to go to other jumping points in your demo as well. And maybe that one thing is all they need. Maybe that's the ultimate thing that if you just could solve that, they don't need to see anything else and they can grow into other things. Shay, I want to go to this scenario that we were talking about, and this is sort of related, where you've got the meeting, demo goes well, and they say, yeah, we're actually looking at a couple other competitors, like, let's touch base in two weeks. And you succeed, and you get a meeting on the calendar in two weeks. And one thing that I recall has happened to me is, like, in that two-week period, the customer will still be engaged with me, and they'll be sending mm -hmm. me questions that, like, they very clearly were questions seeded by my competitors. And they're almost like gotchas where the competitor was like, hey, here's the four questions you got to ask Nick's company. When you see that happening, what is your response? My first response that comes to mind is like, I need to figure out if this person's a champion. Because if you're talking to someone that's below the line, mm -hmm. then it's not as risky as someone that's like an ATL that has a huge voice in that company internally. I want to come from like a seeking to understand at that point and try to figure out why they were asking these questions and why that may be important to them. And then try to pivot it and show them if I've got the demo and that next step lined up, then provide the value of like why this actually matters and how we can do it better, et cetera. I mean, yeah, to that end, I think my response usually in that scenario was like, okay, hold on. I need to not email this person a bunch of answers back because one, that's probably going to go right back to my competition. I actually would just say, All right, I need to call this person and be like, yo, I got your email. <laughs> it looks like you had a couple questions. Talk to me. And you get so much more context when you have that phone conversation with the person than when you just email back stock responses to their competitive landmine questions. Yeah, that should have been my first response because you're exactly right. So many times we type off these long, long, long emails and then your competition now has how you answer and rebuttal all of those objections. And so always calling is number one. So I'm actually curious for both of you because this happened to someone that I was talking to the other day where... A prospect sent a list of 20 feature checklists and requirements out of the blue. And in the original demo, it seemed like we had solved for all the outcomes they wanted to achieve. And then suddenly after a week of thinking about it, they come back with 20 line items. And so Nick, to your point, I was like, get on a call with them. But let's say you get on that call. What do you do? Do you just start going line by line? How do you reorient the conversation when you get a massive list of checkboxes? I think you want to understand where it came from. Did someone internally get involved and they said, hey, Nick, here's actually the checklist in order for RevOps to sign off on it that we need to like get answered? Or was this an internal document that you just had never had access to previously? And so like really, again, seeking to understand and then figuring out what the best pathway forward would be for that. If it's this uh, list of requirements and like technical, then like let's get a call scheduled with the person that created this document and let's cover what is top of mind for you. And then I think it's also okay to ask them like, Hey, like, I'm a little confused where this came from. Like, based on our demo, you said we were vendor of choice. So, like, what's going on? Has something else come up, et cetera? Because your competition probably knows how to compete against you and is probably giving them the things so that they can maybe potentially edge you out and win the deal. I mean, to that end, yeah, understanding where it comes from. Because if it was some random IT person who was like, oh, these are the things I think we need, you're going to handle that totally differently than if someone was like, oh, wait. I used a different solution and I think we should do this. And then they engaged a competitor. Like you've got to know where it comes from. Because if it comes from somewhere internally, 
well, you probably want to meet with that person. And then you can address all of their questions. And again, being like, okay, let's again, reorient around the goal that they originally had. And so Shay, one of the things that I want to ask you is one of the ways that I think we can ensure our deal and often beat out the competition isn't necessarily like perfectly handling the landmine questions or, or even showing a better demo sometimes. Oftentimes, it's a, it's a function of how fast the customer progresses through the evaluation cycle with you, where if they're looking at outreach and a competitor and they get seven meetings in with outreach after 10 days and they've had one meeting with the other person, like you have a better chance of winning that deal because they're like, all right, we're actually progressing towards solving the problem. And what I'm curious to learn from you are, what are some of the things that you and your team do intentionally to speed up how deep your customer gets in evaluation with you in a short amount of time? Yeah, I think time kills all deals. Like everyone says it's the ultimate killer to everything. So I think number one is how you recommend a next step. So oftentimes what happens at the end of a call is someone will be like, hey, so Shay, like when are you free to talk? Well, my calendar's packed for the next month. So I don't know, like maybe call me and we can talk in three weeks. But if someone says, hey, let's let's talk at two o'clock on Tuesday, how does that work for you tomorrow? I'm like, oh, actually that works perfect for me, right? And then while I've got you, let's get this other call scheduled that we talked about. We need to get a call with your VP of sales to talk about pricing. Mm-hmm. What do their calendar look like for Wednesday at say three o'clock too? And line it up and you should be in the driver's seat. Like you shouldn't be in the passenger seat setting up next step. So I think two is understanding like where you're at in like the sales cycle with the competition. And it's asking the tough questions that so many sellers avoid. I want to know, have they already gone through a sales process with someone and I just am the box that needs to be checked. And so I'm going to handle that different than if I know I'm the first person in and I'm actually the first demo, etc. And so I think it's really important for you to understand and ask that. Also ask who they're evaluating at the top of it because maybe you're the only person that they're evaluating. Great, lucky you, right? But in this day and age, they're going to be looking at so many different vendors. And so ask those questions at the beginning. Also, I think on that last note would be like, understand, do they have a process and do they know what their buying criteria is? Because Mm -hmm. buying teams and who's involved in all these different buying committees has changed a lot. I know two years ago, I could get a VP of sales to sign a contract and I could be on my merry way. Now I've got like 15 people and I've got to have all these different approvals. And so I think it's also really important to understand what that looks like. So I'm curious, Shay, say you're working with someone who's like at the line or a champion. And you've done a great job of hounding them for next steps and next steps and next steps over and over. And every week they're like, we're evaluating, we're evaluating, we're evaluating, we're evaluating. They're blocking you to get in front of power. And it seems like the evaluation is just dragging on seemingly forever. What Mm -hmm. do you do when these deals start to stall out? Do you confront it directly? Do you just go around them? Do you try to close lost the op? How do you know when a week touch base every single week for the last five weeks is too many? One is I like to ask the person. So, hey, Nick, I feel like I've been like, I've been touching base with you every week now for the past five weeks. We had this idea of getting this to be able to go live in December. Have things changed? Really take the pressure off and kind of come from like a human perspective. Never send that via email. Reps do that all the time and it just never lands. Like pick up the phone, send a text, ask for a quick call and just try to level set and sit on the same side of the table. You know, right now, like companies are going through so many different things that maybe it's layoffs, maybe it's reorgs, et cetera. Like understand what's going on. You know, sometimes people have personal stuff that comes up and gets in the way of the deal. And so try to seek to understand there before. And then I do like to go if 
if I'm at the line and I know I have nothing to lose, then I'm like, okay, let's just shoot our shot here, right? And can make the decision, then I will have my executive send a note to them and ask for an update, see what's going on, etc. Because oftentimes you get an answer from an executive that you wouldn't get from the person that is like at the line because they don't want to look like they couldn't get the deal done. It's like a shot to the ego, you know? And so, or if I'm at the finish line, I have so many times too, at the end of a quarter, I'm stuck in legal and I can't get a deal done. I'll have my VP email the VP at that company or CRO and I get it back like almost immediately because they can go past everything. What do you have your VP say in that scenario? So it'll depend. If it's like stuck in legal, I'll have them say that. Like, hey, Nick, I know our team's been working hard to get this done. I know we've been stuck in legal for a couple of weeks. It'd mean a lot if we could get this deal done by the 31st. It's our end of fiscal. Is there any chance we can make that happen? Hmm. And if they can't, or if there's like a hidden objection that we haven't been able to find out about, so oftentimes that's how we find out about it. So I used to run this play at PAVE with a lot of my reps where if there was a VP that, especially if they had been involved in the sales cycle before, I could be the parallel VP of sales to their VP of HR while my AE was working with their director of people operations. There was one time I did it though, and it totally blew up the deal. So the champion was sort of going ghost. It was supposed to be in red lines. It was going, 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 and then just silence. One week, two weeks, three weeks went by. And I was like, what is going on? And we said, like, this discount expires, et cetera, et cetera. And so I sent an email and I sent it all the way up the chain. And I was like, hey, like, I want to make sure that everything's okay. And everything seemed to be going well. And we haven't heard from the champion's name here, right? Is there anything that I can do to help? Champion got back and was like, we're not moving forward with you anymore. This was my decision to make and totally blew up the deal. And so is that just like a one-off case and I should look at that like an isolated scenario? Or are there certain situations where I should tread more carefully and not blow up my deal by going above someone's head? I do think those are more one-off cases than like actually like what happens typically across the board. I think too, if you've done like what we talked about earlier of getting your VP to VP aligned and like having it be like a give and they have a relationship and then things get stuck. All of a sudden it's like even more normal for Mark to reach out and say like, Hey, I just wanted to check in. I know we've had this combo. And so now you've got like a warm intro where maybe I would say like, I mean, were they really going to do it if that's what blows up the deal? Like my opinion is no, but like, I mean, it's easy for me to say in that regard. Yeah, the, the way that I look at this one is there was previous contact. We gave the person a heads up. There was an existing relationship and the person freaked out. That is a one-off scenario. And oftentimes what I find sellers will do is they'll take the one person who freaked out, who frankly wasn't going to buy anyway, and they take that uncomfortable reaction and they let it color all the other ways that they manage their opportunities on the real buyers. And the reality is if I didn't do that, or if you didn't do that on your 10 other opportunities, five of those ones wouldn't have closed. And this happens on cold calling too, where you use an opener and you land four, but the one where someone cusses you out is the one that makes you think about those first four and whether or not you should have ever used that opener in the first place. So don't build your buying cycle around the nose. Build your buying cycle around the yeses and know that sometimes you're going to get a visceral reaction in return. Yeah, I mean, you never had that deal, Armand. I think if you sent a nice email and they screamed at you, like, <laughs> the deal wasn't coming in. Um, but 
I want to talk about something that we were talking about on the, the pre-call, Shay, which was this idea of inoculating against deal risks. Armand, I hate mm-hmm. to tell you, I don't think there was anything you were going to do on that deal, man, to inoculate against that deal risk. But Shay, I know that you and your team are doing things in deal cycle and then also towards the end of the deal to inoculate against those risks. And I'm wondering if you can give me some of those best practices. Yeah. So I think my mono and kind of like what I think is super important is to be proactive and not reactive. As a sales leader, I'm thinking about how am I proactive to, you know, close and hit my forecast and build pipeline, et cetera, versus like being reactive. I think it's important to like involve other people into your deals. So especially larger deals, we get really emotionally attached to them and they oftentimes become like the center of our whole world. And so that's really important to have different groups and committees involved in that to get feedback and to figure out if like your pulse is correct. Like I just got off a meeting prior to this of a 30 minute sync I have weekly of one of our top deals in our pipeline. And we go through strategies, figure out risk or mitigation that we may eat on that. And then we'll bring execs in if we need, and we'll bring in different stakeholders to figure that out. Two, I think it's really important to zoom out in pipeline reviews from a leader and have a very crystal clear process and formula that you run so that you're not taken over by emotion. And what I mean by that is if you're behind and you jump into a pipeline review with a rep that's not pacing, you're just going to tear up their deals. And you're going to be like, why isn't this happening? What's this going on? Right? So if you think about it from a proactive standpoint, I mean, number one, you set next steps, right? Like that's the no brainer Two get different stakeholders to provide opinion. And then three, like, look at it from like, it's not your deal and that you're not emotionally attached to it. And like, if this was someone else's, would you think this was healthy? And like, what would you do if it wasn't? And so those are some of the things that I do from a leader. And then take the time at the end, if you lose the deals to like actually figure out why you lost them. Like to Armand's point earlier, like you can set trends by how you win deals, but you also learn so much about why you lost a deal and it helps you be proactive in the future and not constantly on your feet, et cetera. Shay, one thing that was really helpful for me as a rep was I would try to reverse engineer my manager's pipeline review questions to understand and unblock my deals, even if they weren't actively hounding me on and up. And so is there anything, any framework or any five point inspection that you use in your pipeline reviews that a rep can use themselves if their manager is really bad at doing pipeline reviews themselves? Yeah. So I learned my five points and how I run pipeline interviews from Mark Casaglo. And it's like, I do the same thing every single time because it takes the emotion out of it. And so I think if you're a rep and you're looking at your pipeline, you want to know like, what's the persona that you're involved with? Is this someone that can make the decision? Do you understand how that decision gets made? Do you understand paper process, et cetera? What is your next step? If you don't have a next step, then what are you going to do between now and next week to get a next step? And like, what does that look like? And then what's your goal of that next step? So oftentimes we think about, I've got a demo scheduled with Nick tomorrow and great. I've got all the stakeholders. I know everyone I know on that call, but I don't know what I'm going to do next as an AE. And it's super important to be constantly thinking about what are your next steps? And as a leader, you need to be guiding your reps to think and to start to teach them how to think forward so that I'm just coming in and it's kind of like, admin check-in at the end of ramping a rep because they know exactly how I want pipeline reviews. And it's not for me, but it's for them so that we're constantly moving the deal forward. One of my old mentors, Darcy, talked about the difference between what do you want to do and what do you want to get out of a meeting. And a lot of reps say, my next step is to do a demo with this person. 
But the right behavior is actually to say, yes, I'm going to do a demo. And that demo is going to allow me to get this thing at the end of the meeting. And that is going to tell me if it's even worth my time to set another next step. Because otherwise, you end up on these demo trains that just go meeting and meeting and meeting when you're focusing on what you're doing in your next step instead of focusing on the goal of the next step, to your point. To the point that you both just made about the inspection checklist and Armand doing it backwards, like we even do it here at 30 Minutes to President's Club because I run our sponsor sales and Armand gets to play the guy inspecting my pipeline. And what we realized was if he and I aligned on, okay, what actually makes a healthy deal, we can remove the emotion of it where it's not me being like, oh, this one's definitely coming in and Armand being like, no, it's not. No, it's not. We know what we need to look for. And so our pipe reviews are so much cleaner and far less stressful because we have aligned on what I should be reporting. And then mm -hmm. we understand, okay, how do we move any of those individual things to healthy? And so what you're doing for your reps is you make it so much less stressful because they know you're going to ask about the persona. Are they at power? How they're making the decision, the paper process, the next step, and then what should be happening in the next week to move that deal forward. And if I'm your rep, Shay, I know, cool. When I meet with Shay, I'm just going to report on those things. And it's going to be a way better meeting. All right, Shay, well, this has been a phenomenal interview, but the clock is ticking. We are running out of time, and we got to move to the final question. And the final question is this. We've talked about a lot of really great things salespeople should be doing. Now I am going to ask you about a shouldn't. So the last question, what's one bad habit that you see a lot of sales reps exhibiting you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps? Sales reps need to be more proactive versus reactive. So often reps have a full pipeline and they've got enough to absolutely crush their number for the quarter and then they stop prospecting because they're like, why would I prospect? And then all of a sudden you lose your biggest deal in your pipeline and now you don't have anything to replace it. You know, same thing when it goes to listening to calls, et cetera. Boom. I love it. Shay, thank you for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive 
drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with PipeDrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Shay Keeler include number one, the Monday morning opportunity hit list. Every Monday morning, create a list of opportunities that don't have a next step or told you to call them back around this time and call them, email them, or even if you have a next step, see if there's a way that you can de-risk a deal proactively. Number two, if someone is shopping competitors, plant landmines for them to ask for specific pitfalls during the competitive demo. Number three, when you're waiting for them to finish a competitive evaluation, make them love you. Send a goodwill introduction to a resource that will help that prospect while they are looking at other competitors. And then lastly, number four, the inverted pipeline review. You can review your own pipeline by asking the following questions. What's the persona that I'm going after? Do I understand the decision? Do I understand the next step? And if I don't have a next step, what am I going to do to get one? Alrighty, Nick, how can people help us out? Well, Armand, while I've been touching all of our ops and moving the pipeline forward, you've been at hard at work programming a robot. Yes, believe it or not, folks, Armand built a robot that will write sales emails for you, 30 MPC style. And so there is a link in the show notes to go to the horribly opposed 30 MPC email creator. Go check it out. It might help you with your prospecting emails. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes.